The first part of this sermon was missed, so I'm now going to be summarizing it. We're going to be looking in this sermon at the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. There is um, a wrong tendency of people to see some of the last six commandments as sort of being more serious than others. And as you go and work through the commandments that they actually get less and less serious. For example, some think of murder as worse than adultery or adultery as worse than stealing and on down the line until coveting is the least serious of the commandments. And in that way of thinking that some people slip into, lying is pretty low on the list bearing false witness. It's it's sometimes even seen as necessary. I came across an article a while back in the media, and it was a summary of a study saying that good people actually learn how to lie selectively. They use lying as a tool. They use it to build relationships, to flatter other people, to avoid sticky situations. Um, for example, if somebody's home lying when the phone rings and saying, no, they can't take the phone right now, or even um, this article was saying, if, if you have to lie to protect somebody emotionally or to hide some habits or something like that, that, that's actually, according to the authors of this study, a mature and a helpful way to get through life. And the whole idea of the article was it was written in a sort of crafty way to get people to let go of their guilt about lying and to actually try to sell them on you'll have a better life if you learn how to lie without guilt. And there's probably believers who have also slipped into that. But the true believer is not comfortable with lying. Psalm 119, verse 63, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. I hate and abhor lying. Why would we hate and abhor? Well, the contrast of this is that God's people see that even the last of the commandments is very, very dangerous that it is a serious, or the second last here, it's a serious sin. It's a false cover. It's a false savior. It's a dangerous way to get out of trouble, to lie one's way out of trouble. It's a dangerous way to treat others. It leads to broken relationships and to violate God's law by lying actually leads to a sticky web. So this sermon's going to focus on how you shall not bear false witness. We should not lie. First, the God of truth. Second, the source of lies. Third, the sin of lying. And then finally, the truth incarnate, Lord Jesus Christ. So first, the God of truth. We need to think of truth, which is really the opposite of lies, as an attribute of God. Truth is who he is. Not just part of who he is, but he is perfectly, completely true, so that we can say he is the truth. In Numbers chapter 23, the Lord taught his people, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So God will not and does not lie. Then also Exodus 34 verse 6, the Lord God revealed himself to Moses as merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And this is also the character of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus claims, John 14, 6, to be the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in 14, verse 16, he speaks of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Truth means that God is reliable. 
His truth can be known. It is real. It is right. It is true. He does not tell a lie. And this attribute of him, his, can be known. The truth of God can be known, even from creation. It's a great danger of our age where lies have multiplied and where lying is even an acceptable sin, so to speak. That people, especially in the postmodern view, think that everybody has their own truth. And no one can really ultimately know what the truth is. People think they can make up their own truth. Christian writer named Gene Veith said, when truth is unknowable, people think they can create their own reality. When truth is unknowable, people think they can create their own reality. And that's what we've seen unfolding all around us in our culture. That many people now, instead of believing in the truth and that there is one truth and that it comes from God's word in our culture, as was accepted by Moore some time ago, now they believe that instead they are the truth and they can create their own reality. If you search through the Bible, especially the New Testament, about the words knowledge and truth, know and truth in the same sentence, it comes again and again that believers, Christians, are those that do know truth. So it's a mark of grace that we know truth and we know that God ultimately is the truth. So this is the starting point for understanding this ninth commandment. That the Lord our God is the God of truth. But then secondly, then we need to consider the source of lies. And what is the source of lies? Well, the source of lies is Satan, the devil. The Lord Jesus comes to the Pharisees, very religious men, men who clung to the word of God, by the way. They had their Bibles and they knew them inside out. And what did the Lord Jesus say to them? You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. They wanted to murder the Lord Jesus Christ. These were the same people that had killed the prophets. And then Jesus continues and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And the Lord Jesus there is hinting at the fall in the Garden of Eden, and he's saying there when Satan came to Adam and Eve, he sowed the seeds of lies, and he is the father of lies. And he came suddenly. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? comes at the commandments of God and he twists them. He makes them look oppressive. He makes them look as though God is not giving us what would be nice for us. And here's an easier way. And so you see a lie at the root of all commandment breaking. And John 8 verse 44, Satan and lies at the bottom basement. Of the darkness of lies. He gave a false promise as well. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be the source of knowledge. You'll know right and wrong. You'll be able to decide it for yourselves, is the lie of Satan, rather than listening to God. And yes, indeed, that's Satan in the garden, that's the devil in the garden. There's a new lie creeping up. The lies of neo-paganism or new paganism. 
are sowing all kinds of questions about the identity of Satan and the identity of angels and fallen angels and this ancient God and that ancient God. And there is an attempt in the world right now to divide up who Satan is or to even make him into a good figure. One who brought truth into the garden. You know that teaching's actually out there. But Revelation 12 verse 9 shows us clearly that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. That serpent in the garden, the devil, the Satan who came and tempted the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness, all the same figure, the father of lies, that fallen angel who was created also good and true, but of his own will embraced the way of lies in an attempt to overthrow and take over this world. And so you see, lying is at the root of rebellion against God. It's an attempt to take the place of God, to be as gods, to have a new set of gods, or to make ourselves gods. It's to fight on the side of Satan. And so let us be wary of lies. Let us be praying for the truth. And let us be looking to God's word to define it. What's the sin now of lying? Let's look at the commandment proper for a second. The narrow sense of this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, is actually about formal testimony. It's about a courtroom scene. The category of the command, again, is in the highest form. We've seen that the Lord puts commandments in baskets, so to speak. And in the Ten Commandments, he laid out each commandment in its worst and its most serious form. But then as you work through the Old Testament, you can see those commandments worked out both in the law and in the events of the Old Testament and in the prophets that there are baskets. And so the Lord used high-handed first-degree murder as the ultimate example. But under that, the Word teaches us, is even hatred. And here he uses bearing testimony in a courtroom, false testimony, as the ultimate example. Why would that be such an example? Well, in those ancient times, their court was a council of elders, or some elders usually. They would come to some of the senior members of the community, and later, when they had villages, they would sit in one area of the marketplace. And if you were making some kind of deal, or if a crime had happened, or there was a need to discuss and decide penalties and justice, that council of elders would be like the courtroom. And Moses would be at the earliest of times, and then he actually designated a number of different judges, and later the elders and the judges would do this as well as the kings. And what would happen is they didn't have paperwork in those times. When we make a serious deal for something like a car or a business or a home, We have piles of paperwork. We hire a lawyer. We sign all that paperwork and it all figures out exactly this and that of the deal and exactly what we should and should not carry into that deal and and it's all worked out. They had an oral system, a spoken system where you would go into a courtroom and your word and the word of witnesses and those elders watching over this deal would be what would seal it. And they would do things like in the book of Ruth, an object lesson like taking somebody's shoe and giving it to another. But it was very verbal, spoken. A deal was made. 
And then it was sealed often with a covenant ceremony, a symbolic ceremony like giving one's shoe or something like that. We would do a handshake at times. But here this commandment is saying when you walk especially into that situation and there's a business deal or a dispute or something that needs mediation, you should not ever, ever tell a lie. Now, of course, the danger was that a group could get together and they could exploit a person by walking into that courtroom scene, that council scene, and by telling lies, as happened, 1 Kings 2, with Naboth's vineyard. There, Jezebel had put together a conspiracy because her husband wanted another man's vineyard. She got a couple false witnesses to rise up and say, this man's a blasphemer. What an irony. The woman who brought all the wicked idols into Israel, was going to point the finger at Naboth as a blasphemer and work together that he was a liar when she was, really in the land, the greatest of liars at that time. And so there was this danger that walking into a courtroom that could be exploited and that could even be used to put a person to death, especially if two or three witnesses rose up. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, One witness shall not rise against a man, Concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. It would be a difficult reality of providence in the Old Testament time that if you saw one person commit a sin and you were the only one that saw it, you'd have great difficulty because you wouldn't be able to bring that case. Now, you could hope and pray that somebody else saw that person falling into that pattern of sin, but it required two or three witnesses to guard from the danger and the temptation that somebody could bear false witness, tell a lie, and actually have somebody perhaps executed or their lamb taken or something else. And here, this would be horrible because it would be a way of stealing or killing or murdering using the community. It would be a way of exploitation. Exodus 23, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. And so the highest form of this commandment is when you take the oath in court, don't ever lie, the stakes are high. It will lead to exploitation. But then the commandment broadens out. Leviticus 19, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. Even talebearing comes under this commandment. So gossip, going around and telling bad stories about people, saying negative things. As we'll look at this afternoon, the, the opposite of what our catechism speaks of, where we as much as possible uphold the reputation of our neighbor. But going abroad as a talebearer, you should not do gossip and slander. They actually kill a neighbor in the court of public opinion. They drag them down. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Proverbs eleven thirteen. See a brother or a sister stumble. There's often a time to faithfully, yes, hold them accountable. But then, he who is a faithful spirit conceals a matter now. That's challenging. That doesn't mean we don't ever expose dark deeds or speak of abuse or things like that, crimes committed. No, we should 
We should bring the hidden things to light. But God's people should defend and promote as much as we are able the honor and the good character of our neighbor. As the catechism says. And the reality of those who are given over to wickedness is that he gave them over to a debased mind full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters. Those are the people given over to depravity. Think of this world right now. Social media. Texting. The way that teenagers and children, we hear again and again, in schools, use texting to bully, to spread rumors and horrific things about classmates that might be partly true, but that grow and multiply until there's a suicide. Tailbearing, gossip, young people, be very, very careful what you say about other people. And all of us, if you use social media, be careful and think twice and think that you would use it in an edifying way. Think also before you even share the latest meme or the latest post. Think twice. Do I know this is true? Do I actually know? I think one of the great concerns in our age is actually coming from some of the Christian and the right-wing side of things. Because there's some horrific stories about political enemies, even calling them things like child abusers with no evidence or very, very little evidence. If we don't have evidence and witnesses of something, we need to be very careful as people of God's truth that first we know the witnesses have come forward. The person has had their day in court and we don't latch on to every one of the latest waves of conspiracy. Now, there are reasons to be suspicious of some and cautious. And there are reasons to see that certain characters, indeed it's been well testified and it is known that they abused children. But let us be careful. That's just one example of how in our day people thoughtlessly, because they have an enemy, can latch on to something and use it as a weapon. When in regards to that particular person, it may be a lie. Be careful. Be cautious. Don't go about tailbearing. Be sure you know what you know. And if we have spread gossip, rumors, lies, if we have fallen into the habit of using white lies, Deception to defend or protect ourselves. Let us repent. Let us consider. Let us hold up our sins in the light of God's countenance and confess our sins and be careful and flee from sin. Revelation 21, verse 8 says, All liars shall have their part. In the lake with burnt, which burns with fire. All liars. That's in the list of murderers and adulterers. Now how do we take that? All liars. Well on the one hand. Romans chapter 3 teaches us very clearly. That all men are liars. Every single one of us. Has lied. 
But if this is your habitual lifestyle, if you are living a life of lies and gossip which denigrates your neighbors, and if your habitual lifestyle is to lie time after time, or if, God forbid, somebody here is hiding a serious sin by way of lying again and again and again, oh, what a danger you are in. Flee from the wrath to come. Admit your sin. Find accountability. Find forgiveness and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is when we look at this commandment, though it is sobering, and though it is challenging, the good news is in Christ. And we'll look at him last, the truth incarnate. We read from Isaiah 59, a survey and an indictment where Isaiah was acting like a prosecutor. And really, that's what the prophets did. The language that they use and even the words that they use are like God pulling his people into a courtroom and saying, you've done this, 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 and this. Therefore, you will have this punishment. And Isaiah comes with these prosecutions. And what does he find? Well, he found that. There's a whole bunch of people in Israel who are just given over to lying. The majority, sadly, all kinds of lying. He gives a horrific picture of them in verse 5. They hatch vipers' eggs and they weave the spider's web. He who eats of it, eats of their eggs, dies. And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. And that's specifically about speaking lies. And so when Isaiah talks about the liars of his age, I know it's a disgusting picture, but imagine snake eggs and little snakes breaking and pouring out of their mouths and all these little vipers coming out as these Israelites went around telling lies. He he uses this horrific picture. It's a picture that should wake up God's people. Then he also deals with the plight of those that didn't want to be liars, the remnant. And they find themselves groping around in a land of darkness, going here and there. He confesses, verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at the twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. Isaiah is feeling the pain of this living in this liar world and this deceptive world. And then he confesses his sin. Our our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. And later in transgressing and lying against the Lord and and departing from our God. Justice is turned back. And what Isaiah is is doing is he's owning this sin of lying. He sees it in a disgusting and a perverse way in the culture around him. It's spread and it's grown and it's all around him. But then comes to this point of owning it and admitting he himself has lied. And then you come to this prophecy, verse 16. God saw that there was no man and wondered. That there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm. Brought salvation for him. And here we see a prophecy. Of the coming. Of the work of the Lord. As you follow it through. It's actually a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of God. But it's first a picture actually of judgment and justice. Of the Assyrian army that would come on God's people. Terrifying picture of how God would actually purify his people by allowing them to be conquered and to go into slavery. But then it prophesies the Redeemer will come to Zion. 
and to those who turn from transgression. And Jacob says the Lord. And then the Lord will put his spirit in his people. And you see what Isaiah was foreseeing was that through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his own arm brought salvation. He is the truth incarnate. We need an escape. We need a truth and a truth teller and a righteous one who is far beyond us. And so Jesus claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's so real because we've all lied. Like Isaiah. There's no other way to come before God's throne, to be in his presence. There's no other way to be that one who's on his high and holy hill. That one that we sang of, who's the righteous man, except through Jesus Christ, because he is the truth. It's profound that at Jesus' trial, the courtroom witness, Pilate said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered You rightly say that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Those who hear the call of the gospel, indicting us, teaching us we've sinned, will hear the voice of the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who now calls out, Come to me, even all of you liars. Come for forgiveness. Come for mercy. Come for grace. Come. Then Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Here was Pilate. What is truth? You see, that supposed postmodernism is not new at all. Questioning whether there really is a truth or not is not new. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the revelation of truth, and he showed that in his whole life. 1 Peter 2, Christ committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Ultimately committed himself to God the Father and his outworking of perfect providence. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. So when we hear a sermon on the law, and it cuts us, and it exposes our own lies. Or perhaps are even our tall tales or our exaggerations or our gossip or our slander. The call is to flee to him who is the truth, who always spoke truth, who unapologetically said the truth. The king of truth. And the good news is that in him is forgiveness. In him is a perfect record. In him is righteousness forever. And those that are gathered in to him and into the presence of God will love the truth. Yes, it'll be hard at times to cling to it, but they'll want to grow in it more and more, to know his word more and more, to do what is right and honest more and more, and to walk in his ways. And so, may each one here be seeking him who is the way, the truth, and the life, and then walking in his ways. Amen.